The Last of Us has been called the greatest game ever made and redefined what it is to be a narrative-driven video game. While the gameplay is fairly mundane, the narrative stands as one of the best told stories in all of video game history. The story itself is nothing to write home about, it's simply a story of two individuals who are fundamentally broken, growing and learning to love each other once again. However, the way it's told, and with the medium of gaming helping that story be told, it was totally revolutionary and took everybody by surprise. Left Behind was the roughly two and a half hour long DLC expansion for The Last of Us that launched on Valentine's Day of 2014 and was relaunched roughly a year later as a standalone title on the PS4 as well. Left Behind is fairly short, I actually accidentally played through it my first time in one sitting. I was planning on taking a few days to do it, but went all the way through it without much difficulty. It flowed pretty well. It essentially focuses on the events that took place just before the core game happened. To be exact, three weeks before. We get to see Ellie with Riley, her former roommate now turned Firefly, and we get to see them interact and go through, shall we say, a traumatic experience. Now the goal of this video is to critique the DLC itself, which always offers a bit of a challenge, specifically when I am attempting to critique a DLC or expansion of any kind, because DLC and expansions typically don't fundamentally change the game that you are playing. So when we discuss gameplay, we're usually talking about the same gameplay that we got in the core game, we're just talking about more of it, or perhaps slightly tweaked mechanics that turn things on their head. And in Left Behind, this is no different. One could actually say that the gameplay is not a priority in this DLC, but instead the narrative is. Indeed, most of this DLC will be spent watching cutscenes or walking behind another character while listening to the two characters talk with each other. Now as always, this isn't going to appeal to everybody, and so if this doesn't sound appealing, chances are you didn't enjoy the core game itself in which case I don't understand why you're interested in this expansion. But nonetheless, I thought it should be said. And so, as we go throughout this DLC, I'm going to be discussing the narrative in detail, so if you're adverse to spoilers, I suggest you click away now. We're also going to discuss the one gameplay mechanic that was added to this expansion that was absent in the core game, despite its intention initially being that it would be implemented into the core game. So we're going to discuss that, and we're also going to be discussing the very controversial subject uh, of Ellie and Riley's relationship, and we're going to go into detail on that a little later on. But with all that said, buckle in, here we go. Alright, to begin the narrative, it's important to stress, as I already did, that part of this DLC takes place three weeks before the start of the first game, and also during the middle of the core game itself, during a sequence which we previously had to leave up to our own imagination. Specifically, the DLC bounces back and forth between the events that would eventually lead to Ellie and Riley being bitten and infected, and through Joel's impalement and Ellie trying to find the medicine to make sure Joel doesn't keel over and die, back when they went through the University of Eastern Colorado. 
This offers a cool parallelism because we're going through one mall in eastern Colorado with Ellie having a stage Joel somewhere in a store and then also seeing Ellie and Riley explore a mall in Boston inside of the quarantine zone. This is of course no coincidence and is purposely staged this way so that there's constant comparisons going back and forth when we're switching between Ellie and Riley and Ellie trying to help Joel, showing how much Joel means to Ellie even at this stage in the story. Which once again is why it's so important that you play this DLC after going through the core game because it won't make any sense at all if you do it backwards. And so for the sake of clarity, I will now give you a brief rundown of all of the events within Left Behind. And then we're going to talk about some of the key uh, character arcs and key events that take place within the DLC after it. So the DLC opens up with Ellie asleep in a bed, at which point Riley sneaks up and wakes her up. This is actually taking place at the military boarding school where the two attended. Riley has since, however, run off and joined the Fireflies, and Ellie has been left alone to fend for herself. Riley, for whatever reason, is insistent that Ellie come with her and so that she can show her something. She needs to show her something, Ellie doesn't know why, and Riley won't tell her. But like a lamb to the slaughterhouse, Ellie follows reluctantly, and then we switch back to the mall in eastern Colorado, where we get to see Ellie binding up Joel's wounds and leaving him stashed inside a broken down store within the mall in eastern Colorado. Ellie locks him inside and then goes off to try and find some amount of medical supplies that she can hopefully use to help prolong his life or at least stop an infection from developing. You play as Ellie and you go through various stores in the mall looking for medical supplies and you don't find much. However, you eventually come across a downed military helicopter which you can find the inhabitants of which scattered all around the map as you go through the DLC and they all have notes and little sound recordings that let you know what happened to them. Basically, they crashed in a helicopter, they went around the mall, a few of them got infected, they had to shoot each other and they all died in pretty depressing ways. But unshaken like a poorly made martini, Ellie goes along her way and continues trying to find some way of reaching the military helicopter. We then switch back to the mall in Boston with Ellie and Riley beginning to explore it. Now from this point out, I'm just going to finish the story that takes place inside this Boston mall. It will get too confusing swapping back and forth. If you really want to know the details of that, I suggest you watch a playthrough or go play it yourself. It's just going to get confusing if I try to keep swapping back and forth. So I'm just going to finish out what happens in that mall with Riley now. Ellie and Riley go through the mall and they're looking for something Riley is leading her somewhere and Ellie keeps asking Riley why she's been brought here, at which point Riley typically changes the subject, tries to talk about something else. There's something bad she's not telling Ellie and it should at least get the player a little concerned as to what's going to happen next. Not to mention, of course, the fact that we already know what happens to Riley if we were paying any attention at all during the core game. It doesn't take a genius to know that this isn't going to end well for either one of them. And in a lot of stories that can actually be fairly detrimental because you know where the story is heading. It's like a movie on the Titanic. You know how it's going to end and so no amount of hopeful, fuzzy feeling writing and narrative plot 
twists is going to make it any better. You still know most people are going to die and the ship is going to sink. That's true of this DLC, but it actually works in the DLC's favor because it adds a context to the relationship knowing that this is the last time that these two are going to really interact with each other on a personal level. And so we explore them all, and this gives us the chance to do some fun things that we wouldn't have gotten to do in the core game, such as we get to try on funny masks, we get to go into an arcade that Riley helps us imagine our way playing through a fighting game, which was actually one of the more endearing moments in the entirety of The Last of Us, not just the DLC, but the game as a whole. This moment when Riley's helping Ellie experience something for the first time, even though it's not exactly how Ellie pictured it, it still is a pretty beautiful moment. We get to try out a photo booth, and then we also get to experience my personal favorite moment in the entirety of the DLC, which is when Riley gives Ellie a pun book, and you get to, as the player, go through and keep hitting triangle as long as you want, and more and more puns will continue to come out of Ellie's mouth. And it's actually really, really funny and endearing, and it's one of those beautiful little moments that shouldn't be as sweet and charming as it is and as it ends up being, but it's still so charming and endearing, I just can't even handle it. Here's a little clip of it, just so you know what I'm talking about. It's super sweet. Those fish were shy. They were obviously coy. Aw, that's cute. That was cute. That was cute. Those two men drinking battery acid will soon be charged. Ugh, that's Ugh. dark. That's kind of dark. What is the pirate's favorite letter? Oh, I know this one. <laughs> nah, tis the sea. <laughs> oh, cause the sea, cause the water, the ocean. That's the best one so far. <laughs> yes, awesome. The midget psychic escaped prison. He was a small medium at large. <laughs> I'm inclined to be laid back. That's true. I actually feel like that's, that's true. That's it? That's the whole joke? That's, that's, that's the whole joke. He's reclining? Inclined. Meh. Newspaper headline reads, cartoonist found dead at home. Details are sketchy. <laughs> yes. That's cute. Oh man, I love this book. The magician got frustrated and pulled his hair out. Oh, okay. Oh, like a rabbit. Yeah, lame. The frustrated cannibal threw up his hands. Oh! oh I get it! Because he ate his hands so and then gross. he threw them up! That's so gross! A criminal's best asset is his lie ability. Oh, brother. Wow, no. Boo. I didn't have the faintest idea as to why I passed out. <laughs> uh, I heard about the guy who got hit in the head with a can of soda. He's lucky it was a soft drink. <laughs> Silly. Yeah. There was once a cross-eyed teacher who had issues controlling his pupils. Oh, oh that's me. These little moments are the ones that Naughty Dog is bizarrely good at, especially if you've played through Uncharted 4 or any of their recent titles. They're really good at these little moments that shouldn't be as moving and as touching as they end up being, and yet they still are super touching and evoke an emotion that you wouldn't expect to be there. 
Now, one of the things that Left Behind does so well is it offers context to everything that happened in the base game, which you should come to expect from a Naughty Dog title, especially a title such as The Last of Us. But when we're going through the mall with Riley, we get all of these conversations and discussions that casually happen while we're walking from one location to the next. For instance, in this little scene, we not only get to try a little bit of booze, but then we go outside and we can find a saddle that belongs to this character Winston and this horse that this saddle belonged to named Princess is the horse that Ellie learned to ride on and if we remember the core game Ellie said she already knew how to ride a horse Joel was kind of surprised at this asking when she learned to ride a horse and she said back in the, the quarantine zone we knew a guy and this is that guy something that offers sort of a, a new perspective on everything it's sort of like putting in face to the name but in this case it's putting a picture of a face and a saddle on a vague comment by an old man so it's not quite the same thing but you see what I mean now, all while we're exploring the mall, Riley will not answer Ellie when she asks why she's been brought here and what their purpose is in coming to the middle of this mall, turning all of the lights and power on, making all this noise and all these distractions that seemingly could attract a lot of infected. Riley refuses to answer until you eventually reach a music store. When you have this sort of final confrontation, Riley reveals that she's been offered the chance to go and join join the Fireflies on the condition that she's sent off to another city somewhere else as part of some sort of initiation tactic by Marlene. Ellie's a little heartbroken at this, knowing that she likely will never see her friend again, or at least won't see her for a very, very long time, but says that she should go. The two then have a water gun fight as a sort of bonding experience, which rivals the shooting mechanics of Call of Duty and Wolfenstein, at which point they seem to come to grips with the reality that Riley is going to have to leave. Riley then cues up an MP3 player, which when I first experienced this DLC, I found myself screaming at the TV, no, stop it, you idiot. Like you deserve to die, to be honest, if in a post-apocalyptic zombie nightmare, you decide to start blasting music at the very loudest setting the speakers can go to in a brightly lit up mall in the middle of an entire city. I think at that point you deserve to die. So at this point I didn't really feel sorry for Riley getting bitten, but nonetheless they blast the music, they dance around, Ellie has this very raw moment which I'm just gonna let play. I've got something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? Then grab onto it just for you. Give it a little squeeze and say, how do you do? Something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? Then grab onto it just for you. Give it a little squeeze and say, how do you do? There's something in my front pocket. There's something in my front pocket. There's something in my front pocket. I've got something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? Then grab onto it just for you. Give it a little squeeze and say, how do you do? Something in my front pocket for you. Why don't you reach on in my pocket and see what it is? Then grab onto it just for you. Give it a little squeeze and say, how do you do? There's something in my front pocket. There's something in my front pocket. There's something in my front pocket.
And so the zombies come in and start attacking them, at which point we flash back, of course, to the Eastern Colorado Mall. Now, this is the moment that's offered a lot of controversy, and we're going to come back to it in just a moment once I finish out the rest of the narrative, don't worry, but I want to let that just ruminate for a little bit. So after blasting music in the middle of a zombie nightmare, they are somehow taken by surprise when a bunch of zombies come rushing in and start attacking them. But whatever, I guess it's a video game. The two start running away, and they're running through all sorts of maze-like tunnels and corridors, and eventually they climb their way up onto a scaffolding. Ellie gets knocked off the scaffolding and falls down, at which point we get a little cutscene, which I'm also going to let play. And so the two have been bitten. Now at this point I'm going to go back to the Eastern Colorado Mall because these two plot lines are going to overlap in the final cutscene which I want to let play when we get there. So essentially what happens in the Eastern Colorado Mall is Ellie finds her way up to that military helicopter we previously talked about by solving a few different puzzles and killing some zombies and you find medical supplies within there. You go, you kill a bunch of people and zombies while making your way back to Joel, at which point another wave of military people and David's men come back in and keep attacking you, at which point you kill them some more, you unlock the door, and that's really all you have to do in the Eastern Colorado Mall. It's actually pretty simple and straightforward. As I said, this DLC is pretty short. Point being, Ellie has the medicine, she's back with Joel, and now we're ready for the final cutscene. So here we go. Don't worry, I've done this before. I'm kind of an expert-ish. Just stay calm, stay calm. Some more stuff over there you can break. What are we gonna do? The way I see it, we got two options. Option one, you take the easy way out, it's quick and painless. 
I'm not a fan of option one. Two? We fight. Fight for what? We're gonna turn into one of those things. There are a million ways we should have died before today. And a million ways we can die before tomorrow. But we fight for every second we get to spend with each other. Whether it's two minutes or two days, we don't give that up. I don't want to give that up. My vote? Let's just wait it out. You know, we can be all poetic and just lose our minds together. What's option three? Sorry. Come on. Let's get out of here. And that's Left Behind. That's all we get to see. It's very short. It's very sweet. I actually, while capturing the footage for this video, was able to get through the entirety of the DLC in about an hour and a half. And that was on one of the more difficult settings. And so if you were playing this for the first time, it would last roughly two and a half hours trying to solve the puzzles for the first time. But once you've done it before, it really gets a little stupidly easy because there's no challenge left in it anymore. Especially once you start gaming some of the game play systems, which of course we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Now with all of that said, let's go back to what many people considered the most controversial moment in the entirety of The Last of Us, which was the moment when Ellie decided to kiss Riley. Now you may be thinking, what the hell is the problem or the potentially controversial issue with this sequence, and I would actually understand that frustration. Now essentially the reason that this seemed to ruffle a few feathers is because previously there was no mention of Ellie being gay or Riley being interested in Ellie in any sort of way. Some people have posited that this is likely just two teenagers in a very stressful situation that are acting out. After all, people experiment in all different ways, especially young girls, so this could be something as harmless as sort of uh, junior high girls messing around, they kiss each other, big deal, doesn't mean they're gay, doesn't mean they're straight it just is something that happened however Neil Druckmann the director for The Last of Us has said that Ellie is gay and this is the moment that that fact was revealed to the audience and so in response to this there's basically two groups of people and within each one of these groups there's different subsets of people that have reasons as to why they feel that way there's basically people who care and people who don't care and within the people who care there's three main reasons as to why people might care number one those who care might care because ellie's story is relatable to their own coming out story and because such clear-cut examples of gay relationships are fairly rare in gaming and if that's the case then maybe this moment was really impactful to you and you didn't expect to see it in a game like this and it was relatable it was meaningful and it's something you connected with and if that's the case good for you 
However, there's also people that might care because they find it offensive. The reality is that there are still many people whose religious beliefs or practical beliefs simply make homosexuality and homosexual behavior something that they prefer not to see or encourage or participate in. It may be something you disagree with, it may be something I disagree with, but nonetheless, it is a belief that some people have and they might find this sort of a moment in a game offensive. However, this seems to be a little foolish because after all you are playing a game in which you are murdering many many people there's cannibals in it it's not exactly a super moral and virtuous game to begin with so being worried and concerned about a, a peck is at least in my opinion a little bizarre but nonetheless people might care about this sequence because they find it offensive. And then there are also those who are going to care because they think it's a pretty clear attempt at druckmaning up the game or SJWing up the game, however you want to put it. People feel as though this is an attempt to make their favorite pastime politically correct and some sort of activist political statement on diversity or what have you. It doesn't mean that the people who feel that way disagree with the things that are being discussed or shown in this particular sequence. All it means is that people feel frustrated when something is clearly an attempted activism. They feel that that's fine, you can be an activist for things that you believe in, but being an activist in something like gaming might not be the time or place for it. And to be fair, I actually find this to be a perfectly reasonable feeling to have, especially when you take into consideration the people behind the development of The Last of Us. You're talking specifically about Neil Druckmann, who's the game director, creative director at Naughty Dog, responsible for The Last of Us and Uncharted 4, and soon to be The Last of Us Part 2. And the reality is that he is what many people would consider an SJW. He's a big fan of Anita Sarkeesian. He is an outspoken, constant user of NeoGAF. He's actually previously said that the way that he gets feedback on the games that he's involved with isn't by reading a, a wide variety of gaming journals or gaming critiques or anything like that, but rather by looking at Let's Plays from his favorite YouTubers and also browsing NeoGAF threads. And that should offer a, a little bit of context as to where he stands politically. And the reality is also that he is simply an activist. You can try to deny it, you can try to fight it, but the reality is that he is somebody who is a big fan of Anita Sarkeesian's work. He tries to implement those same ideas and fundamental principles into his games, and that's just who he is. Now, does that mean he's incapable of putting out a really good game? Well, no. Obviously, he put out The Last of Us, what has been called the greatest game ever made, especially narratively speaking. He's capable of doing some really incredible work. Just because somebody disagrees with you politically doesn't mean they're incapable of doing things really, really well in whatever field they're operating in. But it is concerning for people specifically because it has the potential to taint all of the work that's already been done on the last of us to begin with and this is something that we saw just yesterday while well, the day before i'm recording this voiceover in the release of the second big trailer for the last of us part two 
In this trailer, basically all of the characters are female, and we see all sorts of different skin colors and everything. Now, I have no problem with this fundamentally. I, I don't really care. I don't think any of the changes or character casting or looks of the characters is going to fundamentally change the way that the story is told. It doesn't seem to be that important to me. However, it's very clear what was done here. We have a very butch, buff, uh, one might even say ripped, looking uh, chain gang, lesbianic figure who's being hung, and then another person who looks like a weird interpretation of Princess Leia, arguing that somebody's wings be clipped, and then they go and they hammer at her arms with, it just, uh, I can't even talk about it. It just is so gross and disturbing. I, I got like sidetracked just picturing it. Now, as I said, I have no problem with this. I don't think that the gender of these characters or their race or anything like that is going to affect the way that this story is told. If anything, I think the fact that these characters are women, that they're stringing a, a woman up and they just leave her there hanging, it actually, for me personally, hits home much harder because I'm more protective of women. It's just a gut instinct I have as a man to protect women. And so I don't like seeing a, a woman hung. It, it is grossly disturbing to me. And hopefully it's it's not comforting to you either. Hopefully it's disturbing to you too. But I actually think it can complement the telling of a story often if you were to put a woman in place of a man. Now going back to the Left Behind DLC, what does this actually mean for The Last of Us and the story therein? Well, pretty simply, it just means that Ellie is gay or at least bisexual and that she has very deep feelings for Riley. I don't think it means anything more than that. I don't think it takes anything away from either of the characters. It simply means that two characters liked or loved each other in a sexual manner that's really all that should matter. The one concern I do think is valid, though, is that Neil Druckmann does have a tendency to be such an activist that it can actually pollute and dilute the story of whatever game he's working on. The most clear-cut example of this I can point to is Nadine in Uncharted 4. She was such a poorly written and established character that there were huge spaces of ludonarrative dissonance where there was no way I could suspend my disbelief to the point where I could believe that this fairly frail-looking woman would be capable of kicking the asses of two very buff men who have spent extended periods of time in prison, one of whom is responsible for beating the crap out of thousands of individuals over the course of three previous games. Neil Druckmann has even said as much, this was an attempted scene that's goal was essentially to put a big, powerful, empowered woman in this sequence and to show that she can kick just as much ass as Nathan Drake or as Sam Drake, and really it just came off as forced. And so we can hope that that isn't present in The Last of Us Part Two, but the reality is that it likely will be. It's a little too bad that Left Behind has been defined by such a small and seemingly innocuous moment, but nonetheless it has been and it is for many people something that has tainted the experience or defined it outright for them in a good way. But whatever you think of this particular moment in the story, 
The Last of Us Left Behind DLC is fairly short. The story is punctual and it offers more context to the characters and the events of the core game. I actually think it works really well. I like it. I would have liked for it to be longer, especially having played through it just the other night in preparation for this critique. I had really wished that there would have been more, but nonetheless, it is what it is and I think it's actually pretty good. Now moving on to the gameplay, there's not a whole lot to discuss in this section because after all we are talking about what is fundamentally the same game. We're not talking about a major gameplay expansion that changes around a bunch of stuff or rebalances elements. We're talking about a narrative DLC first and foremost. However, there is one gameplay mechanic I would like to discuss that was not present in the core game and that is the ability to trigger and to control zombie hordes to work in your favor favor. This is seen near the end of the DLC in the Colorado Mall when Ellie is able to use the hordes of infected against her opponents and use them to filter them to a particular direction using bottles and bricks to uh, basically make a sound and call them over to that location or you can even just go through kill everything and play it the way you did in the core game or you can throw bottles and bricks to distract the infected over to one particular section of the map wait until the humanoid characters find them and start attacking them and trying to take them out for you now this was actually meant to be in the base game, but they simply didn't have time to code these interactions in. Instead, in the core game, you do get sequences where the infected attack humanoid characters that are non-player controlled, but it isn't in the same capacity where you get to actually control those interactions and decide if they take place. Having gone through the DLC once again recently, I focused purely on trying to avoid killing as many people as possible, and instead using the, the infected to do the dirty work for me and it actually became incredibly easy once you really understood what you were doing you could throw a brick in the corner everyone would get distracted and then you could simply sprint past everybody climb up and then shut the door behind you moving on to the next section it actually took most of the difficulty challenge and even fun out of the what is essentially the only gameplay elements within the DLC at all now this is something that I've always had a problem with in horror games, specifically sprinting functions and sprinting mechanics, because once you can sprint past a horror character, uh, their AI kind of doesn't know what to do with it, because they're expecting you to be hiding, to be sneaking around, to be scared of them, and if you just sprint and run past them, it, it doesn't have the same potency. And I know you could say that perhaps I'm nerfing the game myself, if I play it that way, I'm breaking the game, and so it's my fault, but Fundamentally, I think that if you can sprint and nerf all of the AI, that is a problem with the game and not necessarily a problem with the player. But regardless, this one element of gameplay that they added in actually does change a lot, and I'm not sure if it changes it for the better with regards to the Left Behind DLC, because it actually does make most of the interactions with the infected uh, a moot point. There's not much to do because you can simply distract the humanoids and the infected with each other and run past everything. Perhaps that was intended, but nonetheless it did seem to remove a lot of the fun and challenge from the combat sequences. 
But that's about it for the gameplay. Mostly this DLC is walking around, listening to people talk, and then going through cutscenes. It's really not a gameplay-focused expansion. This is something you should sit down on your couch with a bag of popcorn and get ready to slowly indulge. And if you're ready for that, you're going to really enjoy it. But if you're looking for big stealth sections like you had in certain moments of the core game, you are not going to find them here. In conclusion, I think Left Behind is a no-brainer. It's absolutely something you should play, and if you got The Last of Us Remastered for the PS4, it actually comes pre-installed in that copy of the game to begin with, so there's no reason not to. With regards to the big controversial moment of Ellie kissing Riley, I actually do not see the big deal. I think I fall into the second camp where I frankly don't care. I don't care as long as it doesn't affect this storytelling in other elements of the game or the gameplay mechanics. The second that it starts to get to the point where it's Nadine level and I have to start suspending my disbelief because I, I need to believe that this character is capable of doing just as much damage as this dude that's three times her size, at that point I start to have a problem with it because it's taking away from the quality of the game for the sake of activism, which in my opinion, uh, video games shouldn't be the place for activism to begin with. But I do understand the frustration, and I do understand that this moment for many people was a brilliant moment, and it was a moving moment, and it was relatable. It was a moment that they loved and could cherish, and I've even heard stories of people that were inspired to come out to their parents and family after playing through this DLC, which is a pretty uh, amazing impact that one little two and a half hour expansion for a video game can have. But as long as it doesn't affect the rest of the game, I really have no issue with it. However, I'm sure there's many of you down below that have very animated feelings towards this topic, and of course, I would like to hear those down below. Now, I will grant you this critique has been a little bit bizarre because after all, I am trying to discuss and cover a two and a half hour expansion, but cover it in detail while there's no real gameplay changes. So I end up just discussing the narrative, but the narrative really is only defined by one moment, which is highly controversial. So possibly there's no winning, but nonetheless, I hope that you enjoyed it or at least took something away from this critique, even if it was just background noise while you played another game like Assassin's Creed Origins, which is fantastic by the way, I hope that you got something from it and that I didn't waste your time. And so if you liked the video, then hit that like button, and if you didn't, well, you know what to do. But always consider subscribing if you'd like to see more critiques, and if you would like to see a critique of a particular game or expansion or anything in the gaming world, feel free to leave that suggestion down below. This was inspired by comments like yours, and you could be responsible for the next critique, you never know. But with all that said, thank you for watching, I love you all, and I'll see you in the next video. Peace out.